Hello, welcome to Pod Rocket. My name is Kate. I'm the producer of Pod Rocket. With us today is Paige, Paige Niedringhaus. Hi, Paige. How are you doing? Hey, I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, Paige is the staff software engineer at Blues Wireless and also the one of the co-hosts of React Roundup podcast. So you might have heard her voice before. <laughs> and uh, yeah, you, you, we were just talking, uh, you used to write for Log Rocket. Um, so you, you probably uh, seen, you might have seen her on our, on our blog as well. <laughs> it's nice to be back again. Thanks for joining us. And also with me is uh, Noel. Hi, Noel. How's it going? Good, good. I'm well. Awesome. Um, yeah. So Paige, I think just to get started, um, you know, maybe just talk a little bit about kind of yourself and what you're working on and we can kind of go from there. Sure. So I, like you said, I am a staff software engineer at an Internet of Things startup called Blues Wireless. Um, so mainly what we do is we build note cards is what they're called, and they make it possible to have Internet of Things objects out in the world that don't necessarily have a good internet connection get connected to cellular and be able to transmit their data from you know, a faraway field or a moving vehicle or anything like that and actually send it to a cloud and then be able to consume it and use it in some kind of a web application. So that's where I am currently. Um, five years ago, I worked for the Home Depot as a software engineer of varying degrees. And then before that, um, I was actually in marketing and advertising. So I did a total career change and decided that software engineering was really what I would rather do instead. <laughs> yeah, so I think just to get started, um, we have some questions on uh, React um, for you. Uh, Noel, do you want to get started on the React, the React stuff? Uh, Paige, we're curious, kind of, since you've been in the React space, like, what are the what are the biggest changes you've kind of seen, like the high level, the high level changes? I mean, some of the main ones that I've seen was that when I originally began with React, you know, classes were the only way to do any kind of stateful state management with React applications. And since then, we've translated to hooks and that made functional components king. And then now we're moving on to stuff like server side rendering and React server components and all and suspense is finally coming to React, hopefully within the next six months to a year, depending on how quickly React 18 goes from beta into actually production ready status. But it's just been, I mean, it's been a wild kind of change from having these massive Angular-based applications where everything is included for you, batteries and routes and, you know, just all the things that you might need to react, which is as bare bones as it gets. It is basically the model view or the the view part of an application. And then you choose everything else, which some people love and other people hate, but it's been, it's been a real departure, I think. And a, and a lot of people, myself included, have really kind of enjoyed that way of, of kind of picking and choosing and getting exactly what you need for the use cases that you might be encountering and, and trying to solve for. Gotcha, gotcha. So do you feel <clears throat> do you feel that before like React was more opinionated in how it kind of interacted with the other layers of the stack and it's less so now that we're kind of in this hooks paradigm? Or do you think those are kind of separate issues? I think that those are a little bit different issues. I mean, React has always been fairly unopinionated about how you get things done, what kind of router you want to use, what kind of state management, if you need an external 
state management library you want to use, whether it's Redux or Jotai or Zustand or, you know, Recoil, you name it, it's probably there. But the nice thing about it to me is that it is, it's a much smaller package than something like Angular would be. And if you want to use TypeScript, you can. If you are not comfortable with TypeScript, you don't need to know it and you don't need to use it necessarily. You can just do straight JavaScript instead. Um, if you need a backend server, which most people do, you can either reach for Next.js, which has APIs routes built in, or you can set up an express server. It's just very, however you want to shoehorn it into an application, you can. Whereas with Angular or even maybe with Vue, you kind of have to play by the rules that they have given you or the the way of doing things that they want you to follow, which, you know, it just depends on what your comfort level is, I guess, with, with JavaScript frameworks. Because some people I know come from maybe a backend language like Java, where it's very much like, this is how you do it. This is the only way or the right way to do it. So something like Angular is great because Angular is very prescriptive in that way. But if you come from other JavaScript frameworks or Python or some of the other languages, it's just like, however you feel like doing it, we can work with that. It's cool. Just you know, choose a direction and go forward. <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, that's an interesting point. So, so, so for those devs that are coming from like, you know, a uh, highly opinionated language, even, even in like the uh, semantics of how you use the language typically, mm-hmm. do you feel like it's easier now than it was before to kind of get into these, into like React? Or do you think it was easier before? Cause now there's like all these options, like we talked about. Um, I- I think that it's a little bit easier because to me, at least learning hooks, once I had actually started working with them was easier to grasp, I think, than class-based components. So, you know, when you, when you start to learn React and you are using some of the older frameworks, if you don't understand how classes work in JavaScript, which is not necessarily something that you'd come across in every application, it can be a little bit off-putting trying to kind of wrap your head around that as well as the different component life cycles, like you, you know, um, component did mount and component will unmount and things like that. But React now with hooks is so functionally based. It's very easy to understand. I write this function, I call it, I put it inside of a use effect. It runs, you know, when these things change or when this component mounts or unmounts. So to me, it seems like it's actually easier Although I would also say that there is a benefit to understanding both flavors of React, the component-based or the class-based and the functional-based, just because there's a lot of chance that you'll inherit some older code base, which at least has some class-based components still in it, and you'll either have to maintain those or upgrade them to use hooks in the future. So there are definitely benefits to knowing how to interpret those and knowing how to go from classes to hooks, but I think that hooks makes it easier to get started with. And I think that it's a lot more straightforward and and gives you a better opportunity to kind of modularize your code and make it more reusable and less mm, closely tied to a particular component than when it was very class-based and on state management could only be done in, in the class-based components. Totally. <clears throat> I guess you find yourself working with kind of new React devs very often. Is that like just interfacing with them at all? 
Yeah, I mean, people join your team, so new devs on the yeah. team who may or may not be familiar with React. I've worked with plenty who are more backend focused, so they're you know learning JavaScript and learning React at the same time, which is always tough because I've been yeah. there, <laughs> mostly learning Java and trying to learn Spring Boot framework at the same time. So I can definitely right, right. relate to that. <laughs> but <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's and then there's always, you know, new people who join the team. There's um, developers who, you know, you mentor or you just interact with out in open source communities. Um, there's people that you meet, you know, writing online and things like that. So yeah, it's there's plenty of people who are still just getting into hooks or just getting into React and always looking for kind of where to get started or what are some of the, the best resources for for beginners. Yeah, yeah, totally. And yeah, like I understand it's there. And I'm excited there's people just getting into it. I guess I'm I what what led me to the question was I was I was curious if you've encountered that people like new devs that are kind of walking into the space from like a, you know, not much of a foundation. Do you find that they are kind of wind up working in hooks and stuff um, just like because the docs and, you know, the internet, the React community points them that way? Or do you find that they're like landing on old tutorials sometimes and they end up, you know, like not using React hooks? I would say that for the most part, people are leaning towards hooks. Whenever I'm in Discord channels and people are talking about, you know, how, how should they go about learning it or what should they be pointed towards, the thing I would, you know, I would encourage them to start with hooks. Um, especially because there's better documentation for it. There's more people who are talking about it now and you're always going to go down those stack overflow rabbit holes where people are using classes or you'll see the old style syntax or things like that. But I think that by and large, the majority of the content that's going to kind of float to the surface is probably going to be hooks based at this point. And that's, that's one of the things that's the best about people sharing what they know online because there is a lot of new content that's always kind of coming out. And it's also one of the most frustrating parts because you will find those very old outdated pieces or, or you're trying to use an outdated code base, um, which maybe, you know, your, your company has, so there is no getting around it. You have to maintain this and keep it running. Um, in which case finding the answers can be really tough, but then, that, that gives you a good opportunity probably as a developer to make the case that it's time to upgrade so that you can stay up to date with the current technology and be able to find developers who know how to work with this stuff. Because if there's only that one guy who knows COBOL, it's going to be really hard to keep a code yeah. base running and keep it up to date with just a few people who might have that arcane kind of knowledge of React. <laughs> Right, right. Yeah, yeah. I just I bring it up because like this is a thing that's interesting to me. Is I'm I'm curious how often people are thrown off like when they're going and they're finding old stack overflow issues and they're like you know they end up using classes kind of inadvertently not even knowing that there's another option out there. We kind of touched on this when we were talking uh, with Evan you about Vue unlike mm -hmm. the um, the same kind of problem they're having um, with like composition API versus options API and like documentation and all that stuff. Um, so yeah, I, I was just kind of curious, your, your pulse on that is probably better than mine is. So, um, I guess it's, it's good to hear that people seem to be trending the right direction largely. Yeah. Well, one thing that I always notice with the stack overflow posts is that a lot of times, even though the question was asked six or seven years ago, people will come back today and they'll update it and they'll be like, well, well, if you look at this documentation, you know, now we can do with ES6, blah, blah, blah. 
Or same thing with React. They're like, yeah, you could have done this with classes, but now there's a better way to do it with hooks. So even though I am not an active Stack Overflow participant, I'll go look for answers, but I don't ever write back because I don't think I even have enough clout in Stack Overflow to make those kinds of things. But, you know, people will go back and update the docs or update with new links and stuff like that, which is really nice. It's really a nice thing about the developer community. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, so I guess kind of um, with that, are there any struggles that you see React devs, I guess kind of new or old, kind of Mm -hmm. running into right now, um, you know, in particular, just like pertinent issues? I think one of the biggest ones still is that people try to do or try to learn too many different pieces of a React stack at the same time. So they're not just doing React. They've also got Redux in there for state management, or they've got X state in there for state machines, or, you know, they've, they add too many new or tailwind. They've got too many technologies that they're trying to learn all at once. So it's really difficult to parse out who is doing what in that scenario. Like is Redux handling my state management or is X state the one that's responsible for this component updating and, you know, things like that make it a lot harder than it needs to be, I think, to actually get a grasp for what is React doing versus what are these extra things that I've also added that I heard were cool doing for me as well. (laughs) Right. Yeah. It's like, do I use Redux? Do I use the context API? There's so many decisions. That's kind of what I was alluding at before. It's like when a new dev is coming in, so they're familiar with something else. It's like, it's got to be overwhelming in particular in React because like with Vue, you kind of, you know, well, Formerly, there was one way of doing things. Now, there's that it's it's somewhat fragmented as well. Do you think that the kind of the you know create React create React apps and stuff like that are are helping with that problem? Those CLI tools, or do you think that they're kind of exacerbating it? I think that those are immensely helpful for getting started. Honestly, I used Create React app even within a com- the last company that I was working for, Home Depot, um, because we were an internal tool. So we didn't really need anything like server-side rendering or the SEO benefits that might be provided by something like Gatsby or Next.js. So it really was as simple as a Create React app stacked on top of an express server to be able to reach the API services that we needed. So, you know, having that, you know, you just enter a couple of commands and then right out of the box, you're spun up and you've got a couple pages and you've got the little React loader just kind of, you know, spinning. That's really, to me, really helpful to see some progress, even though you didn't do most of it, it's kind of scaffolded out for you. But to be able to just see that you got something started in a browser is really, I think, a, a good thing. Um, so I think stuff like that is awesome. And I love that Next.js now has all these different starter projects as well. So you can get up and running with that quickly. And Gatsby has all these different themes and kind of starter packages too. So I think that those things are awesome. And you know, once you've kind of seen how a couple pieces are glued together, then it opens your eyes to how you can start adding on to it and changing things and making it the application that you actually need it to be. So I'm a big fan of those kinds of things. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally am generally as well. I use them, you know, whatever the, the, the pertinent tool is for the projects I'm working on in every case as well. Um, but again, I guess 
kind of t- to your point of like jumping in and trying to learn too much at the same time, you know, when you do create your act app and it's prompting you for these, all these things I can include or exclude <laughs> from the project. Yeah. Do you think that that like, that's kind of what led me to the question. Do you think that that ever encourages people or leads people to become overwhelmed? I guess that it could, but you know, I would hope, and I, it's been a while since I've spun up a new create react app. I would hope that you can just hit enter most of the time and it will just go with kind of the most basic defaults or the, the most popular defaults. And then, you know, once you're, once you've started to get into it and you've started to define what do I actually need for my project or what kind of things do I need to change, you'll have gained at least enough experience to be able to make those better decisions the next time you're faced with starting some sort of a new project like that. Yeah, gotcha. I I, I haven't done Create React, Create React app in a while either. <laughs> so maybe I'm like making an issue out of nothing here. I was just I was just curious. I feel like when I when I've jumped into frameworks, that's hard. I don't remember I don't remember my early React days anymore too well. But that is often what led me to like, oh, now I've got to research this. Now I've got to research this. Like I've got to figure out all this stuff to make sure I'm doing it properly. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I wonder I wonder if that is, you know, ever leading to it or if devs are just like, whatever, I'll be fine. Like I'll figure it out <laughs> as I go. Um, yeah, I guess like, is there, or I guess when you're, when you're looking at struggles that React devs are having, um, are those, is there... Is, do you feel like the documentation on newer features is usually sufficient? Like, is everything always always there? Or is it sometimes easier to, like, not lean on the super new stuff because it's just not ready for consumption yet? I think that for the most part, the React team does a really good job of trying to stay up to date and keep their documentation up to date. I'm a huge fan of Rachel Neighbors, who does a lot of their documentation. I think that she does a, a fantastic job of it. It's really hard when you try to think about all the various use cases that people run into trying to use React applications. You know, some people have real-time use cases. Some people have just static sites. Others have super dynamic things that have to keep updating all the time. So, you know, I think that they generally do do a good job. And then once you've reached the end of the documentation and you still don't understand, that's when you start looking for the tutorials because people have written a million of them. And I've, you know, it sometimes it takes me five or six where I have to read just different takes on people trying to solve similar problems before I'll finally find the one that clicks for me. But there usually is that sort of thing. And if I can't find it, that's a great option for me to then write my own blog about it once I finally do figure it out. Um, yeah, so I, you know, it's a great, it's a good learning experience because you get to see a whole lot of different people and how they approach and solve these problems using this framework that we all are fans of. But then you can also find kind of those niche use cases that only belong to maybe your problem that you're trying to solve and share it with somebody else because most likely someone else is going to be trying to do something similar to what you are. So I really like to take that as kind of an option to put my own spin on it and try and help somebody who might get stuck on something similar. So it's it's something that definitely does happen, but I think that by and large, they do a really good job of trying to keep it generic enough that it could be applied to a lot of different situations for things that people are trying to solve for. Um, but one thing that I have noticed, and it's not necessarily just React developers, but it's 
I guess people who are newer to development in general aren't taking advantage of all the tools that are available and that maybe more experienced developers are really familiar with. And this is things like linting, like um, formatting of code, you know, letting Prettier do the code formatting for you and letting ESLint be there in your VS code telling you, hey, there's a better way that you could be writing this or there's a more preferred method of doing stuff. And I think that that's something that maybe newer developers are less apt to take advantage of or even to know about that really would benefit them a lot. Um, And that's, I don't really know, you know, where exactly that would be because it's not like we have just javascript.com or something that is like, these are the recommended things that we think you should do. You just kind of get that as you gain experience and you work on teams with other developers who have found these tools and and started to utilize them. But it's something that I don't think is talked about enough and it really should be because it'll make your life a whole lot easier. And especially when I pair with my teammates and I see somebody who's not using it, it's like the first thing I want to do is help them get prettier set up so that they yeah. don't have to think about code formatting on their own. <laughs> totally, totally. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't want to keep coming back to it, but I feel like that's another one. Like in Create React App, in these CLI tools, mm-hmm. at least the view and the React, I think there's a prompt in there. At least there was last I used it. Like set up, you know, code linting, code formatting, and then like yeah. again, like I don't really new dev. I don't really know what that is. Leave it turned off. But it's like no, that one. Like just turn it on. It'll, it'll be great. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. How like how do you how do you you know um, for, for devs that like aren't on your team directly, mm-hmm. is there, how, how do you help, how do you help people figure out what tools they're not using that may make their lives way easier? Um, that's a great question. I mean, without actually seeing somebody else's VS code set up, and I hope that they're using VS code as their IDE, um, <laughs> it's kind of hard to know, but I do, I definitely see it when I'm pairing with somebody. Like we have, some of our designers are both designers and they can do web development. So they know some HTML and some CSS and stuff like that. So, you know, pairing is a good way to do it. But then also, if you're all working on the same project, trying to provide some of those base starter files in your project. So for Prettier, you'd have like a dot Prettier RC file and the whole team would be sharing that. And it's the same, you know, the same things for everybody. Um, for ESLint, you'd have a dot ESLint RC. Um, you know, just for node management or NPM and yarn management, you might use something like Volta or like NVM so that the team, again, is developing against the same versions of node and yarn and things like that. So trying to kind of put guardrails around a a repo or a development team in those ways is a good way to do it without forcing the people to, you know, take your style of coding as the the end all be all. But at the end of the day, it's kind of like you, I guess, as a team have to come to whatever your working agreement is. It's like, we're going to use NVM for node management. We're going to use Prettier. We're going to use ESLint with the Airbnb configs turned on. You just kind of have to decide what things make sense for you and then, you know, try and get people up to speed. Like I have a list that I just keep on a file on my computer of like all the extensions that I use for VS code. So if anybody needs it, they can just ask me and I can send it to them. But, you know, there's no, 
I guess it's just kind of how you prefer to do development is is going to dictate what things you you gravitate towards and what kind of extensions you employ. And I always like to listen like to podcasts like this one to hear what other people are using and and follow stuff on Twitter to see what the the hot new extensions are, but you know, it's just kind of word of mouth and I tried this and it was really cool and I think you guys should check it out kind of things as well. Nice. Well, that in mind, do you have any extensions that are like sleepers nobody knows about that people should be checking out? Uh, let's see. I've got my VS code open right now. Um, I mean, I really do love the prettier and ES lint. Those are probably the two first things that I'll add to a new project when I'm getting started because I can't live without code formatting any longer. I don't know how we did before. <laughs> um, another one that I really like is called Polacode. And that's great when you need to actually take photos of your code for, you know, like articles that you're writing or just nice screenshots that you want to share. It makes it really simple and it makes them look really good. Oh, cool. Um, so it's another, like screen capture right in, like right in VS Code. So you can like highlight blocks and stuff. Is that what it does? Yeah, you pretty much just highlight a block of code and then open, you can open Polo Code in a separate window um, inside of your VS Code. And then you can kind of format it, you know, drag the window smaller or larger to get it where you want to be. So that's really, it's really handy. I'm a big fan of it, except the, for the accessibility issue, which comes with it. But it kind of depends if you're using something like medium where it doesn't really have nice code formatting, then it's probably a pretty good option. And maybe you can just link to like a GitHub gist or the actual files. If people want to go and copy the code word for word. Yeah, sure. Um, Some other ones that I am a big fan of um, (laughs) is better comments. That one is nice because you can do things like a comment and then to do, and it'll highlight it in orange so that, it's easier to kind of find it when you're going back over your code to make changes or things like that. So, you know, those are some of the ones that I find myself reaching for a lot and using a whole lot. Nice. Nice. Very cool. Very cool. We'll include those links in the, in the show notes as well. I've got, I've got one too. I've got rest client is one I've discovered recently. Yeah. It's like postman kind of, but it just like lives in the editor. So you can like save requests that you make all the time. It's great. If you like have an API, you've got a debugger something frequently. Yeah. It's super handy. Yeah. Yeah. Check out all the extensions. Cool. Um, yeah. So I guess kind of, I, I want to dig into your background a little bit. Um, sure. so you said you were in marketing originally and then you kind of mm-hmm. made the web dev transition. Can you give yeah. us like, I don't know, how, how did that happen? <laughs> <laughs> um, it happened because the last marketing agency that I was working for, um, didn't have enough work to keep me, honestly. It was a pretty small agency and we were, we had a number of clients and it just kind of turned out that after the year, the new year started, um, there wasn't really enough marketing specific work that they needed to keep me on for. So I was about to get married um, and they just kind of said, you know, this is, unfortunately, this is what it's come to. So it was either, you know, go find a new job and do something else marketing related, or it was a chance to go and do something different. And I'd kind of been thinking about code because I wasn't really loving some aspects of marketing, like the client um, management portion of it. I really liked 
being able to be one of the people who was either writing copy or making content or building stuff, not so much managing timelines and making sure that the teams under, you know, working with me were on task or, or on target. Um, I'd rather be one of those people who was on one of the teams building the stuff. Um, so I had been like trying out Code Academy and Free Code Camp and stuff like that online. And when I finally didn't have a job that would be taking up my full time, I decided to just give it a shot and go to a four month coding boot camp. And it turned out to be the best decision I could have made. Um, I did it, it was a 16 week, nine to five plus after work and weekends kind of experience. And right at the end of it, I got hired by Home Depot to start working as a software engineer there. And the rest is really history, but it was by far the best decision I could have made and the best chance that I could have taken. Nice. Nice. Yeah. I'm I'm sorry you were kind of forced, but I'm glad it all, I'm glad it all worked out. Yeah. 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 You know, it was, it was really not something that I was expecting to happen when it did, but I think it was absolutely the best thing that they could have done. Cause I don't know if I would have taken that chance if I hadn't been let go. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. Is there like, would you recommend say, say there's someone that they're in a similar position or they're, they're thinking about kind of making the plunge. Would you recommend mm-hmm. a, a coding bootcamp or something? I them? absolutely would. Um, so the one that I went to is called digital crafts and they've been slowly and steadily expanding when, when I went with them, I think I was in their third cohort. So they were really small mm-hmm. and scrappy and very much still in a startup stage. Um, and I would, but I would absolutely recommend that to people who are looking for it because I think that I could have done the self-taught developer thing, but it would have taken me probably a couple of years to really learn as much as I did in 16 weeks because I had a teacher and I had TAs and just the other students that were around me kind of pushing me to learn more and be better. Um, so I would say that if you really want to do it in a short amount of time, and kind of get as much as you can for, you know, fifteen, sixteen thousand dollars, which is a lot, a big investment. But, you know, I, the first job that I had right after that was paying sixty-five thousand dollars. So, yes, it was, you know, it was a, a bit of a, an investment up front, but the payoff has been way, way more. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, I feel like the. Um... Yeah, having that kind of like the guidance there is is big. Like circling back to those points we were touching on before, just like the space is so big. I can't even mm-hmm. imagine like where people start coming in, coming in totally fresh. So yeah. Yeah, and that was one of the things that was probably the most difficult for me is like I did the free coding academy or whatever online, and I kind of understood the building blocks, but trying to put that together into an actual website still didn't really make a whole lot of sense to me. So actually being in class and seeing, you know, watching my instructor, you know, start a brand new repo and this is where the HTML files go and this is where the CSS files go and this is how you connect a JavaScript file in there to get some functionality or some dynamic interactions. That was the kind of stuff that I couldn't really put together based on the online editors and things that I had done before that. So to me, it was really it was so beneficial just to be able to ask those questions. And when I'd get stuck, have somebody look over my shoulder and kind of say, Oh, you know, it's a missing semicolon or parenthesis or something here that's causing your code to break. 
that's the kind of stuff that I don't think you can really replicate online. Um, and to me, that was so valuable as well as just being able to talk to him about his career in web development and hear, you know, how he'd gotten jobs and the different things that he'd had to deal with working as a developer with teams. Just that kind of experience was something that I would not have gotten if I was trying to study on my own and be a self-taught dev. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess to like on, on some of those, those earlier points you made about, um, you know, kind of having that pacing and stuff Um, Mm -hmm. for people, maybe that people that maybe aren't able or, you know, they're scared to make that plunge, commit to like a full code camp. Um, Like, do you feel, do you feel that there is a way to kind of get that, that experience still where they don't feel like they're operating totally in isolation, but they, you know, can kind of get that, get that feedback and work, you know, collaboratively a little more. I mean, there are part-time options that they offer if you just kind of want to get your feet wet with coding. Like if you're, let's say you're a UX designer, but you want to have a better understanding of HTML and CSS, there are like part-time coding boot camps that you can do on nights and weekends. I know that those are pretty popular and gaining steam. But for me, it was more of an all or nothing kind of mindset. I was like, if I'm going to do this, I want to do it completely. I don't want to just, if I, if it turns out that I really don't like coding that much, then I at least have some really great skills that I can say, in addition to being a marketer, I can also do a little bit of HTML and CSS. But by the end of the coding boot camp, it was like, let's, let's see if I can actually fool somebody into thinking that I am good enough to be a full-time <laughs> web developer. Cause that's very much what it felt like. It's like, I am not qualified for this at all, but yeah. Maybe somebody will take a chance on me and and give me a shot, <laughs> totally. which is absolutely what happened. I mean, Home Depot took me in and I learned so much from the team of developers that I worked for and the managers and just everybody in that organization. Um, and now, you know, I've been able to take everything that I learned there and translate it into written articles and working at my new, um, with my new company, which is a startup. So there's a lot less guardrails and a lot less processes in place, but I've been able to take a lot of that and kind of help make that part of our development process there. Um, I mean, I even went so far as to actually write an entire course on modernizing React applications, which if you'd told me that I would be doing that five or six years ago, I would never have even known what you were talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Nice, nice. So yeah, so yeah, is your course specifically towards like geared towards kind of like React devs that have a little bit of experience, web devs that have a little bit of React experience or like who's who's the target? Yeah, the target is really people who come into enterprise level organizations like Home Depot, like Google, um, like Microsoft. And you might not necessarily be working with the most up-to-date version of a particular framework, whether it's Angular or Vue or React, but you inherit some of these longer lived monolithic projects. Um, So at Home Depot, you know, I worked on the same team for pretty much the whole five years that I was there. And we 
went through everything from an Angular 1 application to a React application with class-based components, and then we upgraded it to using hooks, and we went from using Jest and Enzyme for unit testing to Jest and React testing library. We went from Puppeteer for end-to-end tests to Cypress. So it's, it's all those things that you just kind of learn when you're maintaining a longer-lived application. And there's really not a whole lot of guidance or good examples of how to go about doing that online. Because when you look at the tutorials, it's like we start with the the most up-to-date version of Create React app. Well, that uses hooks. So we never even get a chance to look at class-based components. Or we talk about all the functionality of building a working application, but things like how to unit test it or how to uh, end-to-end test it or how to add linting to it, all those you know, extra things that go into enterprise-level applications that have to have really good uptime and no bugs or as few bugs as you can you know, release into production, the better. Those kind of things really don't get talked about until you're kind of in the middle of it with your team. So this was my way of trying to show you know, all the stuff that I kind of learned along the way and how you might go about doing it for an application that you might encounter in a job, you know, where you're doing basically the same thing, trying to keep a long mission critical application going and improve it along the way. Yeah, nice, nice, very cool. Yeah, I feel like that that is a is a can be a tough spot, especially like when you're in an old org, you're like struggling for resources already. It's just like, I don't even know where to start. <laughs> Yeah, I've I've been there before. So, yeah, we were we were doing it with Vue, but yeah, I I, I feel that pain. Nice, very cool. Um, yeah, is there kind of, I guess, anything else you wanted to touch on um, with 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 problems that are maybe maybe problems that dev have devs have that are going through that experience in particular that might be, you know, like a good quick piece of advice for them to take away. I mean, one thing that I would say is if it's possible, find somebody in your team or in your organization who doesn't necessarily need to be an expert in whatever framework you're trying to work in, but they need to be, I guess, well-versed in the tenets of just good software development. Like we have a, a developer on my team now who is not necessarily a JavaScript engineer, but he has such good experience building large applications in general that he can really be, he's been like a fantastic person on how to kind of pull logic away from the components that are actually doing the presentational part of it and like helped us to make a more modular project so that when we need to switch out like a backend from pointing to this one particular database to another, it's going to be really, really simple to do that. So having somebody who can kind of talk about how to architect applications in a way that makes it easier for you to switch out different pieces when need be, or, you know, model certain architectural patterns, that is really still going to be really valuable, even if you're making what seems like a a much smaller or a less uh, complicated project, because I can guarantee you that wherever it starts, it's definitely not where it's going to end. It's going to get way more complicated, way quicker than you imagine. So if you can kind of start off 
with a good baseline or a good architecture, it's going to make everything a lot easier as that application gets bigger and more complicated. Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, it, it can be it can be really hard to kind of get that high level vision for sure, and like mm-hmm. figure out figure out how you're going to do this. Um, and I I think it's good it's good. There's more content out there now, but it's still a really tough problem, especially in like solidarity. If you're trying to do it by yourself, that can be. So oh hard. yeah, yeah. It's um, much easier when you've got a team of people, and when you can kind of have those people who maybe didn't help build that particular feature, but can then look at it and say, you know, this is how I think I would re refactor it. If I was going to take a stab at it, that's having those extra opinions really makes all the difference. Yeah. Yeah. I just like, yeah. When you, once, once you can hit the point of having everybody on the team on board and like, okay, we all have a shared vision. Like you, you've got it. You've got to get there. Um, so yeah, having somebody on board to help you swing, this can be super, super cool. Um, Kate, do you guys want to chat about podcast stuff a bit? Um, yeah, so uh, this is also a fun fact, which our listeners know, and they're probably sick of me talking about it, but I did a boot camp um, also, and I was marketing, I worked in a marketing agency before. Um, so it's it's funny because we actually just had uh, Hannah Neal, a community manager at uh, Engit, nginx and um it's funny how many marketing like how many people in this industry have like marketing backgrounds um it just seems like more and more and um that's really great to hear (laughs) so what did you think of your boot camp what was was how long was it and what was your experience coming out of it did you decide that you wanted to do full-time web development or did you want to do something else after um, so I'm not a full-time web developer. I am still in marketing, actually. <laughs> um, uh, but my course was, it was it sounds similar um, to what you did. It was uh, every day, or like every day, all day, basically, um, for six months, maybe it was five months. Um, and the course actually I took was Java Android, um, which is, I do not use. Um, and I actually had to like borrow a phone from a friend because I was like, I've never even used an Android phone. <laughs> Um, but, um, uh, but no, I, I mean, obviously learned a lot and, um, I, I mean, uh, you know, even though I'm still marketing, like everything we touch at, uh, you know, log rocket marketing is, uh, related to web development somehow. So, um, yeah, I think it's, you know, really helpful and just kind of understanding or even like, as we're, as we're sitting here talking, um, you know, I'm kind of like, I know what a linter is, you know, like there's like kind of this, like this, like, um, it, it kind of helps have like a mind map of, of everything for sure. Absolutely. I mean, I think it's so valuable to when you are like a product manager or a designer or anybody really who works with developers, if you have a better understanding of kind of the limitations that developers work within in terms of, you know, what frameworks can do or what CSS can provide, So I agree with you that even if I wasn't doing this full time, just being able to better understand and talk to development teams about what was possible, I think is a hugely underrated, but really useful tool and and level of understanding that people don't necessarily get unless they do some development themselves and kind of feel the pain. (laughs) that can come sometimes with development. <laughs> yeah. And I think too, I mean, like, you know, uh, well, actually I was just talking to Paige about how I just spilled a bunch of water right before this recording and it was like all over my equipment and stuff. But, um, 
but like setting up this equipment like the audio equipment i guess i'm just like less scared of like technology in general just like you know even it's like even if it has nothing to do with like web development i'm just like i'm like i know i can't break this because you know like you just have like more of an understanding of like where before i probably wouldn't have that confidence yeah Mm -hmm. nothing is magic nothing is magic (laughs) it's all just yeah yeah exactly exactly um yeah but uh so i want to talk a little bit about uh the react roundup podcast um so the podcast is at 170 episodes. Um, I guess kind of when did you get involved and uh, tell us a little bit about that story? Sure. So I got involved in March or April of 2020. It was probably right around the time that the lockdown was happening for the first time in the U.S. Um, and it just so happened that I had been on an episode as a guest. I was talking about, I think, a conference talk that I had given the previous fall about responsive design with React. Um, and I had also been on another react or sorry, another podcast owned by the same kind of overarching stable of podcasts. And Dev Chat TV is the name of the kind of the producer of all these different ones. So I'd been on JavaScript Jabber and my JavaScript story and then React Roundup. And after I was on as a guest, um, the host asked me if I wanted to be one of the co-hosts because typically it's a panel of two or three co-hosts and then one guest who comes on and talks every week about something really cool that they've been working on within the React ecosystem. Um, So I said yes, and it just kind of snowballed from there. It's been really fun because I've gotten to meet so many interesting people in the React ecosystem. We've had Tanner Lindsley on to talk about React tables and React query. Um, we've had Ken C. Dodds on to talk about Remix. We've just had a whole host of really interesting kind of React based people who are doing cool things in the industry. And every week we put out a new episode where we talk to them about something. We've had, you know, some really cool machine learning and AI conversations lately with different people. So it's just, it's a really fun way to kind of keep up with what's new and different in the industry and what people are trying. So if, if you like that kind of stuff, you know, in addition to log rockets podcast, I would definitely recommend you subscribe to this one because we have some pretty interesting guests who come on and tell us what they're doing that's new and different. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think like you were saying, you know, it creates a network of like not only listeners, but also guests and, um, you know, even hosts. So um, I think it's just, I think, I don't think anyone's competing. Like I think the more podcasts, like the better, I think just, um, yeah, I think it's, it's all, it's all, uh, it's all positive for sure. Um, yeah. So with that, um, what are plugs you'd like our listeners to go to? Where do you want to point them? Where can they find you? Um, that sort of stuff. I mean, the easiest place to probably find me is on Twitter. Um, so I am on with a really terrible Twitter handle. It is P N I E D R I because I chose it back in, you know, 2009 when Twitter was just getting started and should have made it something easier and more memorable than that, but I didn't. Um, but in addition to that, you know, one thing that I would plug is we were talking about how a lot of developers will join organizations that have older applications that they're then in charge of maintaining and improving. Um, so I wrote a course with the company called New Line, which does all kinds of web development guides and tutorials and just really good high quality content. 
Um, so an entire course, which is 10 modules, uh, 54 videos, and about 10 and a half hours worth of video content um, is there about all of this. So it takes you from a brand new old application and we update it from class components to hooks. We do all sorts of custom hooks. We do context. Um, we set up linting. We set up prettier. We set up testing with Jest and React testing library. We use Cypress for end-to-end. We add in a component library, which is Ant Design towards the end of it. So you can see how you might integrate something like that into your application. So it's just really, it tries to be a full look at what you might encounter and how you could go about in kind of a systematic way, updating or upgrading an application um, once you've gotten a hold of it. So that's going to be my plug. And then if you want to kind of keep up with what I'm doing, I write pretty regularly, at least once or twice a month, I'll release a new article on my website. Um, and then I also will cross post it to medium and to dev.to. So there's lots of ways to kind of keep up with what I'm doing. And most of it is going to be front end web development focused. So if that's your bag, then you definitely probably want to keep an eye on me. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. And we'll include those links uh, in the show notes as well. Um, Paige, thank you so much for joining us and uh, we will see you around. Absolutely. Thanks again for having me. It's been really fun to talk. Thanks for listening to PodRocket. Find us at PodRocketPod on Twitter, or you could always email me, even though that's not a popular option. It's Brian at LogRocket.